Father, we thank you for a beautiful morning, a time we get to just enjoy the beauty of your creation. Thank you for being the God that you are, that you are a God worthy of worship. You are a God worthy of worship before you even did anything for us, just by virtue of who you are. And we're learning that more and more, God, as we study your word. Help us, Lord, uh, to understand what is here. Help us to lay our lives out again uh, to you, the great surgeon, to do a work in our soul that needs to be done. May we humbly accept uh, from your word what we need to hear. Holy Spirit, uh, help me now. God, I pray that you would uh, just speak truth to your people. Help me not to get in the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you take out your Bibles and open to uh, Psalm 121, uh, as I was uh, studying for this the past couple weeks here, I, um, it, was a, it was an interesting study for me. It was, it was uh, fascinating and uplifting and yet um, very humbling, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I am still learning my Bible. Anybody with me there? I am still learning my Bible. I've had the privilege of, of being a Christian since I was five years old. I grew up in a Christian home. I was privileged to go to a, a Christian school from second grade on to high school. I got to go to a Bible school for college, and I got to attend seminary, and I've worked in a church for the past 17 years. I'm still learning my Bible. Uh, I am still surprised at times uh, with what I thought I know, what I thought I knew, and then confronted again with, with what's there. Uh, psalm 121 is a familiar psalm. And uh, in fact, I think it's sometimes these passages that are the most familiar to us that present at times the greatest challenges to us. Uh, we think we know them. We think we know them. And because we think we know them, we oftentimes will fail to put to the passage the same kind of study and hermeneutical and interpretive questions that we would a passage we don't know at all. And so sometimes we come up short uh, of what is actually there. And, um, and I think that's, that's something that definitely happened uh, with me here. Uh, two weeks ago, our family traveled down to the Matsu Valley, and uh, we had a chance to uh, visit some friends down in Eagle River, and I don't know if you've ever been to Eagle River, but our friends, they have a house kind of right above the river, and from their porch, they can see doll sheep in the mountains. Oh, envious. <laughs> we'll just visit a lot. Um, but we had a chance to go down to the area for a couple of things. One, I was officiating a wedding in Wasilla. And, uh, and then after that, we were going to be visiting a um, pastoral candidate for a worship pastor position. And then we thought, well, we're down there. We'll just tack on a little vacation too. So that's kind of what we did. But we got a chance to just take in the beauty of the mountains around the area. It had been a while since we had been down there. And we had blue, clear skies and snow-covered you know, snow peaks. And so they were just as dramatic as they could be. Uh, we had a chance to go up to Hatcher Pass and we've never been there before. Anybody, any fans of Hatcher Pass? Have you guys been? This is a hidden gem. If you hadn't been there, put it on your list. And so we went down there and were just awestruck by the mountains there. And then as we were coming home, uh, we were on the Glen Highway. We came back uh, on the Richardson eventually. And while on the Glen Highway, we, we drove right at this. And you guys know what this is? McKinley? Mount, this is Mount Drum. And a little, a little bit embarrassing to us, we didn't know what it was. So here we are driving at this peak, looking at this thing. I mean, it was just majestic. It's massive. 
and, uh, and we didn't even know what it was. And did you know this, that uh, 11 of the highest peaks in our nation are in Alaska? 11. And this isn't even one of them. This isn't even one of the, you know, uh, the top 11. Uh, that was amazing to us. And initially, as we were kind of seeing all of these mountains, and I, and I knew that I was going to be preaching on Psalm 121, I was excited because I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I've got a picture of a mountain here. I'll be able to reference what we've seen. You know, I, my, my sermon is just, is just set. I can go right into the psalm. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You know, sort of like Maria from The Sound of Music, right? I go to the hills, right? <laughs> That's all I got. I'm not doing the rest. That's going to cost you. Um, and I, I had a title picked out, right? Monuments of Faithfulness. Isn't that great? That's a good title. I think it is. I don't care what you think. It's a good title. <laughs> I thought, that, that's fantastic. We look at these mountains. We can see the power and the majesty of God. That's what they tell us, right? That's what the psalmist says. I had the main point of my message that we look to the mountains and find assurance from them that their maker, our God, has everything well in hand. I was set. And then I read the passage. <laughs> I had my message all set until I read the passage. And it confronted me. It confronted uh, what I thought was being said there. Though that point is close, but it's not quite right. Overall, it's true that Psalm 121 is a message of assurance. It is an encouraging psalm. We are to have confidence that our God is watching over us. That comes through loud and clear. But it's not the mountains that tell us that. They are not presented in this psalm as these monuments of his power or as messengers of God's care. They are presented in this psalm as the foe in front of the person heading to worship God. We are to have confidence in the nature of our God. That's what we're being assured of here. And overall, the, the sort of the bullet of this passage, which I'll give to you right now, is this, that the Lord our God is watching over us no matter what is in front of us. That's what the psalm is saying. Read it again with me. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. You have your hand out with you and if you turn it over and look on the back, you see the list of 10 genres of psalms that we're looking at in this series, Psalms Through the Summer. And uh, this is a psalm of ascent. That's, one of, uh, that's the genre that this is. Or also sometimes they're called pilgrimage psalms. And that includes a whole collection of them. It's actually Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 uh, in, uh, in the book of Psalms here. And these pilgrimage psalms or psalms of ascent uh, were really a collection of, psalms that, of, of songs and things that, that Israel would have uh, used as they traveled up to Jerusalem, up to the temple during their annual festivals. Uh, there were three annual festivals that, that Israel practiced and that they, where they would travel to Jerusalem specifically for worship. 
Uh, And they are the festival of unleavened bread, which was a way that Israel commemorated the exodus that God provided for them on their way out. There was the festival of harvest that took place a few months later, which commemorated the giving of the law when God gave the law to his people. And then there was the festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths, uh, the feast of booths, which commemorated when God dwelt with his people again as they traveled and wandered in the wilderness. And so these three festivals were uh, things that Israel celebrated regularly, annual, three a year, and they would travel to Jerusalem to worship God, to recall and to rehearse what he had done for them, and to worship him for his goodness and his presence in their lives. And these psalms of ascent were, you might call it, their road music. This is what they listened to on the way as they rehearsed these one to another, as they spoke these and prayed these. Uh, This was their worship music as they came up to Jerusalem and to the temple. Uh, One of the commentators I was reading noticed a fascinating uh, pattern that I didn't see. He, He saw a progression in these, in the collection of the Psalms of Ascent. From the first one, if you look at Psalm 120, what we find there is the prayer of one who is in distress. Life is hard. They're far from home. They're tired of all of the ungodliness around them. And, uh, and, at, and, and they're sort of lamenting about that. And then in the end, if we go all the way to Psalm 134, we find there, we find this call to praise in the sanctuary at Mount Zion in the temple. And so we see even this progression far from all the way to um, the temple. So a pretty fascinating collection of psalms here. So let's look at this one. First point that we see here. Uh, the pilgrim sees the obstacles in front of him. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And as I told you earlier, I was sort of mistaken in my thinking about this psalm. I, my understanding was, or my impression was, that the mountains presented some form of encouragement to the traveler. That here this traveling pilgrim on their way to worship would look up and, and see the mountains and be encouraged by them and somehow find assurance from them. Uh, somehow the majesty of the mountain would draw their mind heavenward. Uh, and that's where their confidence came from. But this is one of those occasions where I'm reading my own experience into the text instead of reading out of the text what it would have said to its original audience. Think about this. You and I, when we think about the mountains, we think about them as our recreational playland. Right? It's where we go hiking. For those of you who snow machine, uh, it's where you take your snow machines. You go race around the mountains. It's where we camp. It's where we ski. It's where we uh, do all of these kinds of things. We drive through Denali Park in our vehicles at 65 miles an hour with air conditioning, automatic transmission, and 250 horsepower going you know, easily through in our comfortable cloth seats. Oh, the mountains are beautiful. That's what we think, right? But... To the psalmist, they're an on-foot traveler with sandals under their feet. When they look up and see the mountains, they don't say, yeah. (laughs) They say, oh, look at that. Look at that obstacle. We got to walk through that. In my sandals, with the limited resources I have with me, with kids in tow, Sacrifices ready to offer. Miles and miles of journeying. We got to go through that. Totally different perspective. In the mountains, they would face all kinds of exposure and vulnerability, right? 
They would be exposed to potentially extreme heat, even cold, fatigue. And maybe one of the greatest threats was, was bandits that would be up in the hills. And in fact, if you, if you think about um, the parable of Jesus, the Good Samaritan, that parable that Jesus tells actually takes place on the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem, through the mountain passes, through the dangerous switchbacks. And what happens to the traveler? Remember, he falls into the hands of bandits. That was a real threat. That was a real danger on these roads heading into Jerusalem. Uh, and also, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of elevation change. Like for the city of Jericho, for example, is 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is at 2,500 feet. So it's 3,300 3, feet of elevation change on foot. And so that's what the psalmist is seeing. It's not, I look to the mountains like Maria, right? I look to the mountains. That's going to be hard. That's going to be a challenge. And so the mountains raise questions uh, for the pilgrim. He looks at them anxiously. He sees all the dangers that might be there, might be encountered, and they surface honest and relevant questions from him. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Interestingly, this, the Hebrew word here for help is a strong word, and this is a little bit of an aside, but I've talked to you guys about this before where we find in, in Genesis 2.18, God says, it's not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. And, and women, this is something that, that uh, a description that God has given of a wife providing uh, Eve for Adam and providing a wife for a husband. And for too long, people have looked at that passage and thought that that was a weak word and an inferior calling, and it's not. Ezer is a strong word. It is more often used in the scriptures of God as the helper of mankind. So when God calls you a helper, women, to your husbands, uh, don't think that that's some low calling. That's a strong calling. That's a good thing because God here is presented as the helper of mankind. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so what we find is the psalmist answers his own question, right? He poses it and then he, by faith, comes back and says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that phrase, maker of heaven and earth, is, is kind of a creedal statement. We, we find it frequently in the scriptures. We find it throughout the Psalms of Ascent, throughout the whole book of Psalms, throughout all of the scriptures, and it even makes it into the Apostles' Creed because it's such a good affirmation of who God is. It affirms the, that God is the creative force behind all of the world. And it's, an, it's encouraging to the psalm. He's sort of fanning the flame of his own fledgling faith here. That his God is the source of help. That's where it comes from. He is rehearsing this statement of faith. And I would say that this is a discipline that's important for each one of us. We need to come together and worship because we need to remind ourselves what we know to be true from the word of God. Because life has a way of confronting it and challenging it and daring us to believe it. And we need to come together and to say again what we know to be true. Um, in fact, some of the scholars here, this is interesting, they're, they're convinced that the mountains here and that this journey, that it's not just about sort of the physical challenges that are in front of him, but they see some of these references here that we might just think are physical and they see... Uh, kind of a, a hint towards spiritual challenges as well. In other words, um, mountains were also a place where a lot of shrines and uh, also places of worship to false deities were located. You, you hear about the high places throughout uh, the Old Testament. 
Uh, also, the, the sun and the moon here. Some scholars think it's not just the actual sun and actual moon, but even a reference to, uh, say, the sun god Ra and the moon, the moon uh, god Nana. Um, and even the reference here to our god who does not sleep. They feel that there's a contrast here to uh, some of the famous pagan gods in the area who were requiring sleep. In fact, if you think about Elijah and his response to the, uh, the prophets of Baal, do you remember this exchange in the Old Testament in, in 1 Kings? He taunts them because here they're trying to summon their God and wake him up and get him to act. Uh, in fact, here's the passage. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. You see, it was common for uh, the, the neighbors of Jerusalem, the neighbors of Israel, uh, that their gods were sort of weak. And, and the, the belief was that they actually took seasons off, that they would sleep during the winter and that they would have to be revived uh, during harvest time. And so certainly there is a, uh, the reference to these physical things. We understand that. But there's probably even a greater reference uh, when we look at some of these physical things like the mountains and the sun and the moon and the slumbering is sort of a theological statement. Your God is supreme. He's not like other gods. He's not weak. He's not tired. He doesn't need rest. These kinds of, these kinds of things. And so the point here that he is the maker of heaven and earth is a reference to Yahweh as the one true God over against any other false deity or any imposing threat. Your helper is the one true God. And again, the, the main bullet, the main point comes through. Our Lord is watching over us no matter what is in front of us. Then we move to the second point here. And I think this is, this is fascinating. I hadn't observed this before. I hadn't picked up on this. But there's a change in the voicing. You notice initially the psalm starts in sort of that first person. I, me, mine, these kinds of statements. But it changes here to second person, you and yours. Do you see that? He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so what began really as an individual questioning from a, from a pilgrim, seeing the opposition ahead of him, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? And he speaks a message of assurance to himself. Now we find the community of faith Jumping in, there's a communal dimension to the psalm here, and they're bolstering his faith statement. So the community of faith is affirming the power of God and his watching. So the the pilgrim has kind of said it. He's answered his own question, but they're saying, yes, you're right. We're with you. We declare it as well. We all declare it as well. And I think this this is an important thing to understand because especially in the Western world, we really like individualism. Uh, probably many people would love to just listen to a sermon, maybe in the comfort of their own home, okay, I've done church, right? Or I'll just go off in the wilderness by myself, hey, I've worshiped God, I'm good. The Bible knows nothing of solitary faith. Our faith is a communal faith, and we need each other. There are gifts that God has given to you that you are responsible to share with and to use for the sake of the body of Christ. And you don't have every gift. There are gifts that others need to exercise for your benefit as well. Um, and I think all of us at times, there are, there are days where we, we come to worship and we're struggling to be there. 
and there may be some real obstacle between us and the Lord. There may be something that we're having difficulty singing. There may be something we're having difficulty believing. And we need the collective witness of the body of Christ to affirm what we might have difficulty saying. Uh, You guys minister to me in a lot of ways, but one of the ways that you really strongly minister to me is on a Sunday morning when I come here and I hear you guys lift your voices in worship because there are things that we are all saying together. And you help me. You help me and you help one another. Um, the point, the main, the main driving point throughout the passage here is that he watches over you. Uh, Yahweh watches over you. And the specific Hebrew word here, shamar, which is uh, translated for us here, watch. Uh, he will keep watch over you. Uh, it's repeated six times in this psalm. It is the main point. It is the thing. The Lord's watch, his careful watch over you. Five times it's translated as watch, once it's translated as, as keep. And, and we've said this before. Remember, repetition is the volume knob of Scripture, right? So you're reading a passage, you're trying to understand what is its main point, what is it saying to me? Look for what's repeated. That's where they're trying to turn the volume up for you so that you can hear it. And we're assured here, of this again, this statement that he, he does not need to sleep. Uh, and again, I think this is a, in contrast to what many of the pagan deities of the day, uh, what the beliefs were of the pagan deities of the day, that they needed to rest. They needed to recover. They took a season off. But in contrast to that, our God never sleeps. He doesn't grow tired or weary. Uh, his watchfulness is constant. It is never diverted, not even for a moment. Um, I got up particularly early this morning. I made a mistake and had a... Uh, Americano last night about 10 o'clock. I don't know why I did that. I've passed that threshold a long time ago, but um, I did. And uh, so I got up pretty early this morning, and uh, about a quarter to seven, um, our dog, Huckleberry, was at the door letting me know that he needed to go outside. And um, so, you know, I let him out, and I'm kind of just walking around the yard, and I'm looking at my lawn, thinking, all right, it's coming, needs a little help. You know, I'm looking at my wood pile. Hey, how many cords am I going to need this year? So I'm just kind of walking around and giving the dog a chance to do his thing. And, um, and then I, you know, get ready to call him in to take him back inside, and, and he's gone. I, I had stopped watching him. And, and Huckleberry's pretty good. If we're out there with him, he'll stick around. But every now and then he puts his nose to the air. And if you ever see that in a dog, right, nose in the air, it's time to get him back because they're getting ready to go. Well, he went. He took off. And so here I am at quarter to seven this morning, running through the neighborhood, Huckleberry! You know, so my neighbors don't like me at all um, right now. I just lost, I lost track of him. I wasn't, I wasn't watching him carefully. I just was diverted for a few things, and he was gone. But our God is never one who loses track of us. Not for a moment. He never lifts his gaze from your life. His watch is constant and unrelenting. Um, I think this psalm first really came to life uh, for me a couple years ago while I was hiking uh, up in Denali Park. And uh, I was on a prayer retreat for a couple of days. And um, I was by myself and I was a little nervous about bears. Uh, Nothing like being by yourself in the wilderness to get your mind thinking about bears. And so I, I, I set my camp carefully. I made sure that I had, you know, hundreds of yards all around me so I had a vantage point to see whatever might be coming. 
had a, ro- a rock outcropping right behind me, and I positioned myself carefully. I had my bear can hundreds of yards away, like they suggest to you in the scary video they make you watch. And, uh, uh, and as I was, I was kind of thinking about um, this psalm while I was there, as I was, as I was hiking around, I lift my eyes to the mountains, the threats there. What, what, where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. One of the things that was really bothering me, though, at nighttime was I was having a difficult time trying to sleep. I was just laying there in the tent. Again, I'm by myself, and I'm just worrying and fretting about this. And if you think about it, it's kind of silly, you know. And I actually got to a point where I realized just laying here awake worrying is really not accomplishing anything for me, right? Like a bear is going to stroll by and go, oh, Erickson, they're worrying. I think I'll leave him alone. <laughs> Do you know, what, what good am I doing laying there worrying? And I finally got to the point, you know what? I, I just need to go to sleep. And if God's calling me home via bear, <laughs> my worrying isn't going to stop it. And so finally I was, I was able to, to, to go to sleep. And... Um, but as I, was, as I was hiking around on these trails and going up into the mountain passes and trying to get a good night's sleep and some of these kinds of things, the psalms really came alive to me, particularly some of these pilgrimage psalms. And I realized that these were not just poems in a book on a shelf. These, these were words that they lived with every day. These were truths that they had to declare as they went up difficult mountain passes, as they had obstacles in front of them, as they had real-life threats coming at them. And as they faced the difficulty of a night's sleep with all of the dangers around them, these were psalms they had to declare that their God was watching over them. We're we're almost too safe and too secure. We don't think we need God. And we absolutely do. These words were for weary travelers that were literally walking around assuring themselves that God was with them. He was watching over them. There's a great uh, phrase in Psalm 3. It's a psalm of David. It's not one of the pilgrimage psalms, but he says, this is when Absalom, his son, was chasing him with thousands of men. Absalom had taken over the kingdom, embarrassed his father, and trying to uh, take him captive. And David makes this statement in Psalm 3. He says, I lie down and I sleep. And I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Uh, What keeps you up at night? What are you worrying about? Probably not bears. Maybe recently it's the economy, right? Alaskan economy. Maybe it's your own job. You're going to get laid off or you're going to have a job waiting for you. Maybe it's your kids. Some of you have kids with, uh, with health difficulties, respiratory or otherwise. And... You know, a night's sleep, a full night's sleep is a tough thing to come by, moms. You listen closely. You listen for their breaths. You, you hear the cough. You hear the whatever. A full night's sleep is a tough thing. Maybe you're thinking about your deployed spouse. Maybe you're thinking about your aging parents. What keeps you up at night? You're trying to solve the world's problems. There's an interesting statement here that David makes. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. He doesn't sleep 
so you can, right? He does have this well in hand. He's not going to take a moment off. He is watching, and his watch is constant. And so as we move really into this next point here, we've been comforted with different dimensions of God's watchful care. Initially, it was the power, the power of God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And then we were encouraged about his steadfastness, right? Our God never sleeps. He never withholds his watchful care. And then we move into this third category here. We move into this dimension of God's watchfulness, which is his nearness. It's his care is close at hand. And the community of faith affirms the pilgrim of this. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. In other words, he watches you closely. Now, the reference to shade here is a positive one. You can imagine how, how much you would long for shade in the Palestinian desert going over mountain passes. How rare it would be and how delightful it would be in a hot, dusty world to find some shade. It was a premium for foot travelers. And so this shade really speaks of this nearness and the refreshment of the Lord. In other words, our God is not a distant father who is aloof and uncaring or unknowing or out of touch. He knows intimately what concerns you. And it matters to him. He knows and he cares. He is as close as the shade at our right hand. And additionally, we see here that uh, our Father is not only near to us, but he's near to us at all times. We begin to get into the dimension of his care, which is, his, which is the time. Uh, the sun by day, the moon by night. Uh, this is a poetical device uh, called mirism, where again, if, if you say to one another, I was looking for my keys. I looked high and low, right? You looked everywhere. That's what you're saying. Uh, when, so when he talks about the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. He's saying there is no time where anything can harm you. God and his watchful care do not clock out. They don't move away. They don't take time off. He doesn't miss a moment. The community of faith also affirms the endurance of God, the endurance of his his watching, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And I think what's, what really impressed me about this particular point here is that uh, his watching over your life, a good understanding of this word would be he watches over your everyday life. It's not just this broad sweeping statement that has, you know, like no, no meaning. He watches over your everydayness. You know, something that I, it might be a little hard for me to confess this to you guys, but to be truthful to you, one of the temptations that is readily available for me is a temptation towards deism. Uh, I'm not a deist, don't, don't misunderstand me. But a lot of times I tend to think of, well, God's got the big stuff, but he's not so much concerned about the little stuff in my life. I don't know if anybody else is like me in that. It's just, a, it's just an honest temptation for me. The scripture tells me differently. It tells me that he cares. It tells me that he knows. It says it right here. I have to believe this, and I need you guys to assure me of it at times. God cares about the moments of my life. He cares about the everydayness. He knows me. He knows you. He knows your name. 
He knows exactly what is going on in your life. Uh, this past week, I had an appointment scheduled with um, uh, the fellow in town who does our retirement uh, account. And I try to go about every year just to keep, to keep tabs on this and to see what's going on. And I'm, I'm not very savvy on this, and I ask my questions, and I sound kind of silly, I'm sure, asking them. And he tells me the same thing every year. Just keep putting your money in. Don't touch it. Don't move it. Don't chase returns. Just be steady and walk away. Uh, okay, that's what you said last year, but uh, I keep coming just to keep an eye on it. And um, this year I was looking at, at my statement, and something interesting had happened. Um, normally, you know, the money that we, we put in, it just it goes right over to the mutual funds that we directed at. But for some reason, it was beginning to accrue in a, like a separate cash account and not going into the, the mutual funds. And so I didn't understand this, and I asked him about it. I said, hey, what's going on here? And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess... Something has happened, so he asked his assistant, and, and it was basically confirmed that there was a policy change so that the money couldn't be automatically invested. It needed some additional step or something like that. And I know this is all very boring, but the point is this. They didn't catch it for four months. Four months, the retirement money that we had put in wasn't working or gaining or earning like we were intending it to. It was just sitting in a cash account. And I, and I was a little frustrated. I thought, I'm paying you to watch, Right? I'm paying you to watch. At least you should notice when the policy changes and then look at whose accounts it might affect and then, and then adjust, right? At least. And I, and I understand I'm, you know, I'm one person of probably thousands of accounts and I'm, I'm certain I'm small potatoes uh, compared to the folks you know, that he's looking at. But he wasn't watch- they weren't watching. It was disappointing. It was disappointing. But the scriptures affirm to us that God is not just watching over the broad sweeping events is watching our everyday life. He is as close and as near as the shade at our right hand. He watches over our life. He watches over our coming and our going. And he doesn't just do it for a season. It says that he does it right now and forevermore. Forevermore. I think Psalm 121 really captures both the transcendence of God, that is his supreme and majestic power, but it also captures the imminence of God, that is his nearness, his closeness. In other words, there is no detail of our life that is unknown to him. And there's no problem in our life that is too big for him. Nothing is unknown and nothing is too hard. He is all-powerful, And he is ever watchful. That's what's affirmed here. And again, he is with you forever. Uh, And I love the expression here, he will watch over your coming and your going. If you think about this, uh, the average pilgrim here that would head to Israel three times a year for these festivals to worship God for his faithfulness, let's say they live to be 70 years old, they're going to have over 200 trips, 200 journeys to the temple for these festivals. Talk about their comings and goings, right? He will watch over these, both now and forevermore. And even these festivals, they, if you think about it, they commemorated God's faithfulness throughout the movements uh, of Israel's history, both going into Egypt initially, being spared from famine, coming out in the Exodus, going into the Promised Land, and then taken into Babylonian captivity, and then returned just as God had promised. He had not left them. He had watched over their comings and goings. Our God is not going anywhere. Let me wrap all of this up here. The mountains, I think this is fascinating to me. The mountains here in this psalm, which at least for me, I'm tempted to see them in my initial reading as 
These are the monuments of assurance, right? I lift my eyes to the mountains. That was the temptation for me. They're not. They're not presented as monuments. They're the obstacles. But there are two monuments to remind us of God's faithfulness in this text. The first is this. It's the habit of worship. Israel regularly went to the temple three times a year for these festivals to affirm God's faithfulness to them throughout generations. They faithfully gathered together to worship, to worship God. That is a monument. And the second one, I think, is this. It's the commitment of the community of faith to one another. It's too easy in our culture today to simply come to church and to sit and attend and to say that it was done. And what we really need the body of Christ to do, what we really need the people of God to do is to be involved in one another's lives. We need to be able to affirm for one another what they might have difficulty believing in the moment. When one is asking a question about where their help is going to come from, there need to be the people of God in their life that would be able to affirm to them, this is true, when it might be difficult to say. Overall, the bullet, the bullet of this passage is this, that Yahweh is watching over your life. He is watching over you, no matter what is in front of you. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word, and I, I ask God that you would help me and you would help my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would never grow tired of coming to your word to be confronted again with the revelation that you have given to us. God, may we always be open to hearing from you. May we surrender even what we think our conclusions and interpretations that are there. May we, may we make sure that they are well grounded in the text. God, thank you for the assurance that we find here that you are watching over us. Always watching over us. You know what's going on in our lives and you have the power to act. So we thank you for your vigilant, watchful care. May we find assurance, not from mountains. May we find assurance from the habit of worship and from the people of God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.